Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Well, good morning again to you. It's so good to see each of you this morning. Thanks for being here. Thanks for braving the rain. Um, I know, man, if, if you're like me, you saw those clouds and you heard that thunder and you just wanted to stay in bed. Anybody else there? Okay. All right. Well, thanks for being here. We're in week three of this series called The Good and Beautiful Community. And as we've been saying, there has been a major misunderstanding for so many of us, including, you know, for me growing up. It was always about a personal relationship with Christ. And it's not that it's not about a personal relationship with Christ. The problem is, is that so many of us make it about God and me. It's just about God and me. And I've run into so many people who will ask me, do I need to attend church? Because I have a relationship with God. It's a personal relationship with God. And I just don't need a relationship with the church because I don't like the church and I don't like religion. God, me, we're good. I don't, I don't need you guys. And the truth is, the truth is you can't do this without a community. You can't do this when it's just me. You need a collective whole, a group of people who are on this journey going through this experience like you are. Because here's the truth about each of us. At some point in our relationship with God, we tend to fall off the bandwagon. We make mistakes. We do things we shouldn't. We get in, you know, encounters that we didn't, and we say things we don't mean to say. And the bottom line is, it's hard for us to get back when we don't have other people surrounding us. And so the whole premise behind this entire series, this good and beautiful community, is that uh, a personal relationship with God can't thrive without people. A personal relationship with God can't thrive without people. And so today I'm excited. I, I'm not even going to give you the title because my guess is you know what the title is when you walked in through the doors today. So, um, and if you don't, we'll get to it in the end. Would you pray for me um, as we begin? Lord, we do thank you for this time of teaching. We pray that your presence, your goodness, and your faithfulness would be in these moments. May these be we, your words and not mine. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, maybe you have um, had this experience in life. Maybe you have found yourself in a conversation. Maybe you found yourself sitting uh, at a table or at dinner or lunch or whatever it may be. You're sitting across from someone, and you've had this. Uh, you're pretending to care, but you really don't care. Am I, am I the only one that's done this before? Like, you're sitting across from someone, and you're pretending like you care, but you really don't care. And it's not that you're insensitive or you actually don't care about the person or you care about their feelings or you care about who they are as a person. It's just that they won't stop talking about them. Right? And, and you've had this experience where you're sitting there across from them and they're talking to you, talking at you, and all of a sudden you feel like you're in la-la land. You're out in space and you begin to think about, hmm, why are their eyebrows so bushy? And why are their eyes so close to their nose? And wow, their mouth is funny. Or if you're looking at me, why, is, why are his ears so big? I mean, my goodness, I didn't know that was possible. Um, or hey, those helicopters that fell the other day, I need to go clean those out of my gutters. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing what kind of conversation you can have in your head when other people are talking at you. 
And you've had this. When you're talking with them or they're talking to you, uh, I call it the glaze of malaise. Come on now. Y'all had malaise at some point. You had too much sugar or whatever it is, and you kind of comatose, and you're just like in la-la land. I call it the glaze of malaise. You know that there's this thing that just kind of sweeps over your face, and it's like you don't even care that it's on your face. You're just nodding your head and yeah, uh-huh. And what you're saying is, would you please shut up? Like, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to be done. Just stop, you know? Anybody have this? Ex- okay, I guess I'm just insensitive and a really bad person. Okay, all right. I know this is just a question, and, and I don't want you to take offense at it, and, and I don't mean to be offensive because I'm really, you know, I address myself in this. I address you. I address us as a whole, as a, as a community that's learning what it means to be good and beautiful. I wonder... I wonder if God feels about us the way you feel about that person who won't stop talking about themselves and who is internally focused on their own life. I think God at times will sit across from a dinner table and we will talk about how great we are, not just individually, but as a church. Hey, God, check it out. Look, we raised this much money this year. We were able to pay this parking lot. We were able to buy these lights. We did this really cool VBS. We hired this really new, hot, smoking-looking worship pastor whose head glistens when he worships. Um, I mean, you know, we've done all these great things. We've reached all these people. We've baptized all these people. And, and, you, and you start naming everything that you've done, and you're, you're talking about how great you are. And it's like God gets the glaze and malaise look on his face. And just stares at us like, when will they shut up? Now, I know that's kind of, I know some are saying God would never say that to you. But, But I wonder, I wonder if God looks at his community and says, at what point have they become so internally focused that they've forgotten the mission for other people? At what point have they become so concerned with them that they have forgotten the mission For other people. They're so internally focused. And I wonder if God has gone to sleep on us. Or if God is just staring at us. And looking at us. Like I hear what you're saying. But you're totally missing out on what I'm trying to do. For you and through you. And so today what's really great is. We're not the only ones that struggle with this. On an individual level, on a corporate level, we're not the only ones. In fact, Jesus' initial followers, this was something they always struggled with. They were always focused on, you guessed it, themselves. They really weren't concerned with other people. And so today we're going to look at a really good story written by a man named Luke. Now, I know most of you know Luke, you're scholars, uh, you know more about the Bible than I do, and that is really true. I know that. I understand that. Um, But Luke was this guy who quit his practice as a doctor, and he decided that he was going to research the life of Jesus. And he, the reason he began to research is he was questionable. He had questions, and, and he was skeptical of whether Jesus was who he was and did what he said he was going to do. And so he quits being a doctor, a nice lucrative practice, and decides that he's going to give all that up, and he's going to go out on a big old quest to find out, is this Jesus guy real? And so through his discoveries, and through his conversations with people, and the disciples, and the people that experienced firsthand what Jesus had done in their lives, he comes up with this story today, which I love, and it's almost like when Luke writes it, he's laughing. I mean, there is humor in this story. And the humor is, is that Luke is on the outside 
looking in. I don't know if you know this, but Luke was not a Jew. He was not one of the insiders. He was not one of the twelve. And yet he writes this account, and it is so good that people say, we need to add this into the Gospels, the narratives of Jesus' life, because this is excellent. In fact, it's one of the best accounts. In terms of language, it's like Luke writes with gold. And so he, he's, he's on the outside looking in, and he's writing about a group of disciples who think that it's all about them. And the reason he finds it's funny is because they don't think it's about, like, you know, people like Luke. It's, it's not about people who are on the outside. Jesus isn't doing stuff for people who, you know, are, are, aren't part of the clan. And, and Luke is writing because he knows that's not true at all. But on a serious note, he writes this because he knows the danger of what happens to a community that becomes internally focused. And so I love how he starts the conversation out. We get off to a great start, by the way, today. And so here's what he says. He says, a dispute, great way to start, a dispute arose among the disciples. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the dispute that was going on among the disciples, this was not something new. This is something that had been talked about repeatedly, and we know that from other accounts that have been written, but this dispute continued over and over again. Maybe, maybe somebody does something that annoys you. It's like they just keep doing it and doing it, and you just let it go, but there's this one time they do it, and you just, like, explode. Or maybe your kids or your husband leaves their clothes all over the floor, and you've had this conversation 50 times, like, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up, and finally the last time, like, that's it. You throw it outside, put some gasoline on it, and light it. You're like, I don't care anymore. Like, it's just coming to a head. Well, this is what has happened. For so long now, they're following Jesus, they're nearing the end of his life, and this whole thing is coming to a head. And so Luke says this, he says, a dispute, and I love this. If we were kind of peel back the word that Luke uses, and, rem and I'm reminding you that Luke used some really deep language. I mean, it's significant. I don't think he used this word haphazardly, but like with intention. And so he says, a dispute arose among them. And I love this. He uses this word, philonechia, which means a love of contention or a passion for competition. Now, y'all love competition. Come on, everybody loves a good, good game of something, whether it's a board game, a basketball game, or whatever you're doing. Like, we all love competition. But a dispute uh, arose among them, and it was about a competition that was taking place. And you're all good scholars, and you're saying to me, so what is the competition about? And here it is. Which of them was considered the greatest? A dispute arose among them, and this is the first time, this is like the 50th time they've had this conversation about which one of them was the greatest. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, but this conversation had impeccable timing. And if you know me, you know that sarcasm. Uh, so, yes, impeccable timing, and here's why. Jesus is nearing the last few hours and the last few days of his life. You know, you remember when your loved one died, your grandmother, your mother, your father, or somebody that you loved very deeply, and you remember when they're laying on that bed, and they, they, they are getting ready to say their last words, and what do you do? You lean in, because the wisdom that they're about to share, you're going to hang on to for the rest of your life, because you know over the course of 70 years or 80 years, they've got something to share with you, and this is exactly what's going on. Jesus is sharing his words of wisdom with the disciples. He's saying, here's what this bread means. Here's what this wine that I'm about to give you means. Here's what we're going to do when we get to Jerusalem. And he's talking about the significance of what's going to happen. 
and about the future of what God's going to do through them and for them and for the world. And these gooberheads are arguing over who's going to get grandma's china. Hey, who's the favorite in the family? Come on now, we know the favorite gets the china. You know, not, not the, the low-end one that, that never did anything that mom asked him to do. We give the one that was always brown-nosing and sucking up to the parents. They get the china. The greatest will get the china. And this is the conversation. Who will be the greatest? And I want to argue this morning that perhaps, maybe, just maybe, that in greatness there's weakness. That perhaps that like in greatness, the great part of being great is at times there is weakness. And so I want you to hear this because this is important. Have you ever noticed that people's strengths, there's definitely a weakness to it? Like people who are textbook smart are street savvy stupid. Right? People who could like... I mean, I, I'm not even going to do math equations because I'm not textbook smart. But if you were textbook smart and you could work through a textbook like it was nothing and you, you're just, you just love uh, thinking and working, like, I love it because they're so smart, but you put them on the street and they're going to last for about two minutes. Or, or maybe if you're like me, you like to dream about the future, or you like to vision, you like to think and, and um, just think about what God could do or what life could be like, you know, living on a beach in North Carolina and whatever, you know. But the problem with that. It's great to be a dreamer, great to be a visionary. Problem is, you're never present. Or I know some of you love to calendar. You're extremely organized. You love to plan, and you love everything mapped out. But that's great when everything goes to plan. But what happens when it doesn't go to plan? You've had this experience when it doesn't go to plan? I, I, I'm, Janelle is very organized, very planned. And I remember one time I said, hey, let's go skiing uh, with the Chicago district. We'll just take the boys. And I had planned this an hour before the boys got off the bus. It wasn't a plan. It was just like, we're going to do this. And she looked at me and she said, who's going to pack the kids? What if they're whiny? They're going to be tired after school. How are we going to pay for it? Do we have gas to get up there? Where are we going to stay? She starts asking all these questions. And I said, I don't really care about all that stuff. We're going to go have fun. If you want to join us, tag along. If you don't, so be it. You can stay home and do whatever you want to do. Now, there have been times in my life where that's not worked out so well. Failing to plan was just planning to fail. Like, that's the saying, right? And my whole point is, there is a weakness in greatness. And you can see it in the disciples. There's this wonderful movement that's taking place. Jesus is doing something amazing. And by the way, they are following one of the greatest Leaders in history, it's not even an argument. It's not even a dispute. Jesus, by far, is one of the greatest leaders in history. And the disciples get the opportunity to follow him. And they're part of one of the greatest movements that ever existed in history. But even in this movement, there was weakness. There was insecurity. And you can hear them fighting, and you can hear them wrestling, and they're arguing about what's in it for me. What am I going to get out of this when Jesus steps up and he conquers Rome and he's sitting on his throne with his scepter and his cool little king hat that he's going to be wearing? What's in it for me? Who's going to be great? Who's going to get to China? Who's going to be sitting next to him? And i got to be honest, church, I think... As Luke writes this story, he writes it not for them, but he writes it for us as a way to say, I need you to listen up. Because as a good and beautiful community, as we're striving for that, our weakness, our weakness and greatness 
is internal focus. Our weakness and greatness is internal focus. Now, I want you to know, there have been programs and things throughout the course of this church's life and throughout the entire church's life that have made the church great. That have brought people to know Jesus in a new way. Everything from potlucks to hanging out to caring for each other to singing hymns. I get it. Singing hymns. Theologically deep and and just really, uh, they touched the soul. They brought people to Christ. Sunday school, VBS, all those things are great, great programs that at one point in the church's life made it a great church. The problem, though, is not the program. It's the focus. The problem is not the program, because, by the way, the program at one point made the church great. It was the focus. And our weakness and greatness is internal focus. And what was once used to reach people who didn't know Jesus is now about how is it reaching my needs. Somehow we have made this place in the church of, when will I get to sit at the right hand? When we do this, this, and this, that's right, that's what I want, and it becomes internally focused. And the problem is, the problem when we become internally focused is we give up the vision that God has for this community. We give up the vision that God has for this community. And we forfeit to live a life where we just try to keep the doors open. And here's the truth. We are less effective when we are more selfish. We are less effective when we are more selfish. And Luke wants you to lean in and he wants to tell you, I need you to hear this. Don't make the, deci- the, uh, the mistake the disciples made. Don't get into this conversation of greatness. Don't turn it into what, what's in it for me. Don't turn it into the internal focus. I need you to stay focused on what's important. And so you can hear Jesus begin to kind of course correct them. He says, I need you to understand. I know we've had this conversation a million times, and I'm getting kind of sick of it. I'm at the boiling point of this. Like, we're about to get in a dispute, not over who's great, but just over the fact that you're arguing who's great. And so he says this. I love it. He says, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. By the way, I don't know if you know this, the rulers of the world, that you've watched rule the world. And by the way, we talked about a few weeks ago with King Xerxes. You know, he brings his wife in in just the crown, and he wants people to know how great he is. He's lording his power over people. That's what greatness looks like. He said, you've seen this before. And he said, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves, and I love this word, benefactors. You see, this is what they're after. This is what the disciples are after. Benefactors is the conversation of greatness. What benefit am I going to get? What power am I going to receive? What influence will I have? What's in store? What honor will I get when Jesus steps up to the plate? Who's going to be there? Who's going to be the benefactor of what Jesus is giving? And so Jesus says, 
I know that's the way the world has worked. I know that each of you wants to sit at my right hand. By the, by the way, sitting at the right hand was about honor. He says, I know that each of you wants to stand next to me when this whole thing goes down. But if you want to talk about greatness, if you want to learn how to lead, if you want to continue the movement of the church, he says, this is where you start. But you are not to be like them at all. Instead, the greatest among you should be the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. And he says, for who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? And I love how he answers his own question. Is it not? With the question. Is it not the one who sits at the table? By the way, people that sit at the table, these are the people that have a position of honor. He says, but I am among you as one who serves. Now catch the irony with me on this. I'm reminding you that Jesus is at a meal. And so when he says, he says, is it not the greatest who sit at the table? Is it not the honorable who sit at the table? Yes, but also the one who serves. And so I want you to know when Jesus says this, what is he doing? He, he's sitting down. Can you, can you catch the irony of this? That they think when they pull up to the table, this means we're in. This is what's going to make us great. And Jesus says, yes, this is one posture of greatness, but the other is also the one who serves. I don't know if you know this, but you can't sit and serve at the same time. Only Jesus can do that. The one who leads, the one who is great, is the one who sits and serves. I don't know if you know this, but people serving, people serving don't sit where sitting people sit. And people sitting don't serve people who serve. That just doesn't work in their day. Like, if you're sitting, you're honorable. If you're serving, you're not. And Jesus kind of fuses them together. And he gives them an image, and he says, here's what's honorable. Here's what's prestigious. Here's what makes a community great, and here's what makes for great leaders. Great leaders sit and serve. The most honorable thing they will do is be selfless. And what is so cool about this conversation, mind you, it is the end of his life. Jesus is giving them a meal. And all of this is pointing to what? The cross. You see, a conversation of greatness must always take place within the context of the cross. A conversation of greatness, a conversation of leadership, a conversation of a good and beautiful community must always take place within the context of a cross. I'm sorry, but a community will never make it if they're never considering the implications of the cross. And you know this personally. That Jesus Christ not only died for you and resurrected for you, but this symbol is not only an example of leadership, but it is an example of selfless love. That God loved you so much that he served selflessly, without question giving up everything that he wanted and giving up this position of power and greatness. And he says, if you want to lead, 
If you want to be great, if you want to continue this movement, consider the cross when you're considering what it means to be a great community, a good and beautiful community, and a good Christian. Because only those who serve will sit at my right hand. And so today we want to, we want to start a new initiative. We want to start a new initiative that everyone serves one. That everyone serves one and that everyone is a leader. Yeah, I'm sorry, this is what I want you to know first, is that everyone is a leader. Let's start there. Everyone is a leader. You're sitting here this morning, you're a leader. And I know many of you think, I'm not a leader. And the reason you've been told that is because of where you work or what you do or, or maybe a position that you hold. So often we're given titles and then we're given salaries to compensate those titles. And then when you go to work, you're like, well, your title's not as big as mine, and you don't make as much as I do. So please, 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 don't give me input. Don't ask questions. Don't do anything that's not in your job description. And what happens in the world for us is we feel like we're not a leader. We're not supposed to step up. But I want you to know that when you come to this church, and if you've been here longer than three months, and some of you have been longer here than I've been alive, everyone who comes here is a leader. So, by the way, if you've only been here for three months, you don't have to listen to this. This is not for you. You can opt out. But if you've been here and, and you've been part of this community, I want you to know you have responsibility as a leader. You have responsibility. And the greatest one who leads is the one who serves. The greatest thing that we can do in the church is serve people. I get it that... that it's about serving people outside the walls, but we can't learn to serve people outside the walls if we can't even serve in our own church. Sorry, you don't do it here, you're not going to practice it out there. That's just the bottom line, and that's why we come here. And so like I said, we're going to start this new initiative called Everyone Serves One. Everyone Serves One. One ministry, one life at a time. And you're saying, well, what's the need? I'm so glad you asked. Thanks for being inquisitive today. Recently, we've gone through our, we're working through all of our systems as a leadership team. What do we need to work on? And we just started with greeting because we think greeting is the most important thing. And we, we've come to realize that it's, it's not just a person at the door who hands you a bulletin. That as we begin to think, we need people in the parking lot. We need people at the door. We then hand them off to people at a table who then hand them off to somebody who can show them around the church, who then will bring them in to the sanctuary. And as they're coming in the sanctuary, they're greeted by, by ushers out here. And then they're hosted by somebody who sits here. And we said, we need about 30 people every Sunday morning. 30 people every Sunday morning greeting. And you're saying, well, pastor, come on, man. It's just a wave. It's just a smile. But, but I would say this to you. You only get one chance at making a first impression. And, and I think we should consider that maybe it's the first time throughout the week that somebody has waved at them, smiled at them, or asked them, how are you doing? And see, we don't think that's a big thing, that maybe it's a big thing to them. And maybe it's the one thing that's going to keep them coming back the next week, and the next week, and the next week. And the more they get to know you, and the more they get connected, the more they know, get to know God, and the more their life is changed by Jesus, who is the only one that can give them hope. All because you decided to step out and volunteer. 
I know it's just a green vest and a wave, but it could mean the world to somebody else. It really could. We have people here who meet on Wednesdays. If you've been due over the last few months, you should have received a little card with a gift card from the best coffee company in the world, not Dunkin' Donuts, but Starbucks. And um, so if you're new, you should have received that. And there are people, when, when your name comes in and you're new, there's a group that gathers on Wednesday, and they pray over those names. And they pray over your families, and they pray over you, and they pray over the cards that they're about to send you. And it is a great way to serve as part of our connections team. It's important because... because it may not seem like they're doing a lot, but who knew that a cup of coffee might just change a life? Who knew that a little note, letting them know that we care about you, we noticed you, and we're glad that you're here, could change a life? Who knew that? You know, right now we went to the 10 o'clock hour, and our kids are back there, and we have more people serving back there than we ever had before. And the reason we do that is because we believe kids are the kingdom. They're not the future of the church. We believe they are the church. And they are the example. And so we've had people who said, I'll serve. You know, I'd really like to be in the sanctuary. I'd really like to sing the songs. I'd really like to be part of what y'all are doing in there. And we had people who have served on this platform who said, I'll give that up for the benefit of the children. And I know we're like, well, they're just children. But you know what? The reason, the reason why people serve kids is they are the most shapeable people there are. I love it. One of the, one of the leaders I had in Kansas, um, the guy was very important. He owned one of the biggest furniture stores in Kansas. I loved him to death. And I would ask him, hey, Jeff, why do you like to work with students so much? He said, I work with students because there's, there's still hope for them. You see, when you become an adult, you get so ingrained in your ways, and, and you know what? You can talk to your blue in the face at them. They're just not going to do what you've asked them to do, and they're not going to change what needs to be changed. They're just going to keep doing what they do. He said, with students and with, with teens and with kids, like you speak into their life, and they're willing to work on it. They're willing to make themselves better, and they're willing to work at it. And he said, why would I waste my time on adults? And you know what? We, we may see it as just serving kids, but you have no clue about the future that you are shaping for them, not just in the present, but what they could do down the road. I think about my little boys. There are people today who are back there with my kids. And they're speaking into their life. They're speaking love into their life. They're talking about Jesus. And I love it when my kids come home. I love it when my kids come home and they talk about God and they prayed prayers that God would enter their life. And many of you know that they were baptized couple weeks ago and since everybody's like are they too young I'm sorry but if you've accepted Jesus in your life why would we not want to tell people about it and why would we as a community not want people to surround them and support them and continue to do what they're doing but their lives are changed because a few people have said I'll serve I would really like what I would prefer but for this season, I'll let that go. And so I want to say this today, that everyone serves one, and everyone serves somewhere. And if you're not serving, I would say it's time to reevaluate your purpose in the church. Like, if we're going to be a good and beautiful community, 
if we're going to make this thing thrive, if we're going to stay alive, if we're going to continue a movement, and we're going to be not just about keeping the doors open and meeting bills, then we need people who will serve. So today, when you leave here, what's really cool is we've got this little, we're not going to call it a work fair or a job fair. We're going to call it a serve, a serve fair because everyone serves somewhere. When you go out, you'll find five different tables, everything from Hope Closet to kids to connections to music, whatever your interest is. I would ask you, if you're not serving somewhere or you're not plugged in, there are going to be people who are going to be standing back there. I would ask that you would go and you would sign up to be part of it. We need more people to help with teens. We need more people to help with kids. We definitely need more people to help with Hope Closet. And I know that Sandy Jones, who's in charge of our greeters, she's got about half of what she needs. And so I would say before you leave, don't walk out that door without making a commitment to serve. That's my hope for y'all. That's my hope. Let's pray together. Lord, we do give thanks for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your goodness to us. I pray that we've been challenged by this message and that our lives will be changed forever. I pray that through our little acts of service, we would learn what it means to be great. That greatness is not about us. It's not about what we want but it's about making a difference in a life. I pray that we would start there. And it's in your name we pray, amen.